Morning, saints. Morning, sinners. Glad that you're all here today. Almost. Trust that your caffeine is up. I got a heavy message today. So with that, stand with me. Yeah, yeah, stand. That's okay. That's... Let's pray. God, we've dragged all sorts of things through these doors today, and we acknowledge our stress and anxiety and all the weights that we carry. And we ask you now to remind us that you made the universe and not us. You sustain the world through your effort and not ours. So please remind us of the divine call to simply partner with you to help repair the world into the kind of world that you want it to be. And God, this morning, just remove the weight off our backs that you really never asked us to carry in the first place. And so this morning, we bring our relational conflict, you know, be it at work, your marriage, your home, friends, relatives, even those enemies that you ask us to love. <laughs> and we invite you into our messy lives and we ask you to heal us in the situations we find ourselves in. As we now just take a deep breath, and why don't you just do that with me right now? And please just remind us that your spirit is breath and that you are as close as an exhale and an inhale. And now as we engage in all things that Jesus addresses, we ask that you'd reveal yourself during this time and touch our hearts and affect our lives. And we ask this in the strong name of the resurrected Jesus. And everybody said, amen. You may be seated. If you're our guest this morning, my name is Jerry. I'm the lead pastor, and we're just thrilled that you're here. We're walking through the book of Matthew, and we now find ourselves at Matthew chapter 5. And the, the, the simple fact is, I had you stand, I had you pray with me, and just go through that little exercise, is because we all get caught into situations that we simply either we can't stand or we can't handle. Um, and, and sometimes many of us feel that we can't even find a way out. And I think all of us have heard a, that, that little voice, that miserable little voice that says that, in the back of our heads, it says, you're a miserable failure. You ever been there? Yeah. And as some of you here this morning are probably experiencing those feelings right now, if I was to be truly honest. So, you know, why does God allow those unpleasant and even tragic experiences in our lives that, that go on? And I think that that's one question that really bothers us, and there, there, there is no one ultimately satisfying answer that anybody can give to that question. And I think that on some level, we'll probably wrestle with the, that whole issue for the rest of our lives. But I can offer you a, a part of the answer this morning as we begin to look at what is known as the Beatitudes. 
So during his ministry, Jesus performed many different miracles. He, he healed the sick. He spoke in parables to huge crowds of people. But the majority of his time, Jesus spent with his followers, teaching them, training them. And he, and he taught them many things on many different occasions. But the pages of the New Testament, we actually go on and we'll find as time goes on that there are three major lessons that he gives specifically to those who were following that he wanted them to learn. And so basically what we see in a broad view, Jesus taught his followers about the life in the kingdom. He taught his followers about the community of the spirit. He taught his followers about the return uh, of the king. And uh, these lessons are known as the Sermon on the Mount. And we find that in Matthew 5 to 7 as we start to walk through that. We also find it in the Upper Room Discourse in John 14 to 17. And the Olivet Discourse as well found in Matthew 24 and 25. The three primary areas of his teaching. And so Jesus is going around and he's preaching and people, and he's preaching that people need to repent because the kingdom of God is at hand. And we need to realize that that phrase, the kingdom of God, has a deep and significant meaning in the scriptures. Now God promised the prophets of his day that one day the kingdom would be restored by a future king, the Messiah. And so when Jesus is, comes on the scene, his message is repent, the kingdom of heaven is near. And the ultimate arrival of God's kingdom is still in the future when, when Jesus will return and establish his kingdom here on earth. But we await now for that entrance of that kingdom. We live on this earth, but we acknowledge that as Christians, our citizenship really lies in God's kingdom. And so therefore, we live our lives according to the principles of God's kingdoms and not the principles of the world. And the message Jesus taught his followers was radically different than the conventional wisdom of the world. And that's where we find ourselves. So up to this point in Matthew, we know that Jesus was walking throughout the region and, and people from all over came to hear him. There were these large crowds of people that, that just sort of flocked and all sorts of people from all sorts of different backgrounds. People who have been taught from birth that in order to follow God, they, they had to have no contact with those people. But now they're, they're all mixed together in the same crowd. You had these people and those people, the, the special people, the rejects. And, and Jesus is preaching and he's teaching and he's healing. And, and, and remember, his, his message is repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. And as we walk in the book of Matthew, we now begin to get a closer look as to what he was expanding on. Now, scripture says when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up to on a mountain and he sat down and his disciples came to him and he began to teach them. So in your mind, what you see is that there's a small group of followers, and they're sitting around him, taking it all in, and there's this mass of people around them, and they're straining to hear every word that Jesus is saying. And it goes on, and he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. First of all, what Jesus is doing here is an announcement. It's, it's a fundamentally different way of framing something. When we take a look at the book of Matthew, and you're looking at it in your, in your Bible, he's not giving instruction. Jesus is not saying, here are ten irrefutable how-tos of God's blessing. He's not giving a command. He doesn't begin with, here's what you need to do in order to be blessed. This is not advice, and it's not necessarily a teaching. Jesus begins with an announcement. You got me? You with me on this? He announces that God is on the side of everybody 
who has no reason why God should be on their side. Think about that. Again, this passage is referred to as a Beatitudes. It's counterintuitive. It means it's contrary to intuition or to common sense. But often, nevertheless, it's true. It's like in the summertime. Remember those days? They were so long ago. It's like learning to wakeboard in the summertime. And, and we had some pictures of this, and I was trying to get them. And you know wakeboard. You know of which I speak, right? It's wakeboard, kneeboarding, water skiing. You got the idea where we're going. Some of you are going, yes, yes, more. Okay. Well, you get in the water, and the, the boat is in front of you, right? When you're in the water. Nope, back up, back up, back up. I want the other picture. Thank you. You're in the water. The boat's in front of you. You're ready to go. It doesn't matter how you got the board on. It doesn't matter how you got in the water. It doesn't matter how you balance yourself. But you're there. You're holding on to the baton. And the boat's in front of you. And the first thing that somebody says to you in the boat is what? Let the boat pull you. Right? Is that the only thing that ever happened to me? Because that's what I was told. Just let the boat pull you out of the water. I am 250. 55 pounds of twisted steel and sex appeal. <laughs> it's got to be a massive boat to pull me out of the water. And, and, and so, again, let the boat pull you up. And, and what happens, you end up, go to the next slide, falling face first. So whether it's wakeboarding, kneeboarding, there was a great kneeboarding video I saw. The guy was taken off from the shore, and, and man, it just pulled him right. His tip got stuck in the sand, and it just shot him, and he wouldn't let go. It was just the price, best thing. It's just the way it is, and it's skiing. So water skiing, kneeboarding, wakeboarding, it's counterintuitive. Let me explain. The goal when we're doing that, obviously, is to get on top of the water, yet you don't try to get on top of the water. You with me? The goal to, to get up means that you have to stay down. The goal, right, is, is to have you move forward through the water. So in order for you to move forward, it, what you need to do is you have to actually lean back. You with me? You understand? So you are to lean back and dig in and then, and then try to ride the instrument of choice onto top, the top of the water. But most of us, when we start, we get pulled forward out over our skis and then we are literally dragged through the water. <laughs> and we're trying to get on top of the water, but it just doesn't work that way, does it? But finally... After numerous times, numerous embarrassments, numerous amounts of, of water and other types of bacteria being drunk, it finally clicks. And what happens is you look like Kent McNeil and you get pulled out of the water. And you, you just can't imagine it any other way because now it just becomes second nature. And, and we learn to trust this counterintuitive impulse in us. And the same, you know, with surfing, I found out this counterintuitive impulse this last Christmas, um, last winter, you know, I heard, let, let the wave carry the board and then you just jump up, he said. That's what he said. He says, it's easy once you get the hang of it, he said. That's what he said. Right, I said, as I sat in the water all day, looking like an orca, as I watched the rest of my family getting up on the board. Sorry, I don't know where that came from. 
So when Jesus makes his announcement, it is counterintuitive. There's a massive crowd of sinners and really, really bad sinners at that. And there's this massive crowd of religious people and really, really, really religious people at that. And not to mention there's both Jews and Gentiles. They're all mixed together. And it's in the midst of this crowd that Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Makurios is the Greek word there that we just translated into blessed. It's also translated into happy and fortunate. But really, when you think about it, there's actually no English word that is adequate to translate this word makurios. Blessed, he says. Blessed, fortunate are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, the phrase poor in spirit is also a negative term. So today, some of you are going to walk away. It's a heavy theology Sunday, and you're going to walk away, and your mind's going to go, and that's good. That's my my plan. But I hope not only does your mind go, but then it is open to see as to who God is and who he's calling to. The phrase poor in spirit is a negative term. It's not a term that we're trying to become. It's not a good term. The word poor is the word for a beggar, but it, 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 it refers here not to those who lack material wealth. It refers to those who lack spiritual wealth. You with me? There, there's nothing praiseworthy. There's nothing noble. There's nothing good. There's nothing positive about being poor in spirit. It's not giving people a wonderful, praiseworthy condition. In our language, the poor in spirit would be called this. We would call them the losers. We would call them those at the end of the rope, the, the spiritual zeros, the bankrupt, the pathetic, the lame, the out of it, those without any traces of good in them, the morally empty, those who don't have any spiritual resources whatsoever, where there's no acts of kindness to commend them, no deep insight into truth, no moral background to keep them on the straight and narrow. They are the spiritual washouts. Ouch. You see what I mean? It's not what we expect. It's it's a very upside down perspective. But what, and that's what Jesus is saying. Maybe your first thought is, well, what is the good thing of being in this condition of being poor in spirit that deserves you know, being in the blessing of God, Jerry, you know, what condition makes me deserving of God's blessing? I put it this way, blessed are those who there is no reason why they should be blessed. Think about who God is. Think about that for a moment. Blessed are the people who are not humble or are pathetic, wretched sinners, tax collectors, prostitutes, alcoholics, thieves, and everybody who doesn't believe in God. Blessed are all the morally empty people who couldn't tell the truth if they had to. And the favor of God is now being poured down on everybody who doesn't deserve the favor of God. You with me? See, That's the gospel. This is very confrontive. This is actually should be very disturbing for religious people, some of which you are here today, because it's easy for us to think that God's blessing is only for particular people. 
because of this particular thing that we have done or because of who we are or because of what we've said. No, Jesus actually destroys that and blessed are the totally pathetic losers without any wisp of religion for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Well, why? Why would you say that? Like, isn't that the first question we're always asking is, is, is why? What, what is the thing in that condition? Jesus doesn't give much to the question of why. He tells a whole lot of stories, uh, but there really isn't any explanation given. You know, there doesn't seem to be a point other than, you know, this is intrinsic as to who God is. The answer to the question why is apparently is, well, because God is like this. This is who God is. You know, it's never rooted in something like, oh, these people are really good. No, remember, Jesus is being very counterintuitive here. In Luke chapter 14, verses 15 to 24, there's a great example. It goes, when one of those at a table heard him say this, he said to Jesus, blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. And so what the guy is saying as they're eating with Jesus around the table is, blessed are the good, orthodox, obedient, religious people. That's what he's actually saying. And then Jesus replied, a certain man was preparing a great banquet, invited many guests. And at the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come, everything is now ready. But they all began to make excuses. And the first said, I have just bought a field. I have to go and see it. Please excuse me. Think about what just was said here. How many of you would buy a field without ever seeing it first, without inspecting it? Okay. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Again, you would never buy oxen without trying them out first. And still another said, I just got married. I can't come. No explanation needed. Got that one very clear. And so the servant came back and he reported this to his master and the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go quickly into the streets and the alleys of the town and bring the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Interesting, right? Bring in all the people who don't deserve to be invited to a giant banquet. Here's another question. Why is this guy giving a banquet? We don't know. He just is. He's the banquet guy. We don't know why there's a celebration. He just is. He just seems to do that. He just throws banquets. And he invites everybody. You can go to Luke 17 and ask, why does Jesus heal the lepers there in Luke 17? Why? Luke 19, Jesus encounters Zacchaeus, the wee-wee man. The wee-wee man was he. He climbed up on that sycamore tree for the Savior to see, right? Now it's going to be stuck in your head all day. And he says to Zacchaeus, I have to go to your house today. Why? Well, there is no why. And so endlessly, you find favor, you find grace, you find fellowship, you find embrace with Jesus. Why? There is no why. There was a movie I saw this summer. It was um, called The Walk. It was a great movie. If you haven't seen it, you need to watch this. If you're afraid of heights, I was talking to the guys in the video department. They're going, I want to watch it, but I'm afraid of heights. No, that's good. That's even better. It's about Philippe Petit, who, who he walked the tightrope between the, the Twin Towers in New York. So after walking for about 50 minutes, as they said, he eventually is arrested. And so obviously this guy becomes a media sensation. And when he's being arrested, he's being asked the question, there is no why. 
And so here is Jesus announcing to a, a crowd a broad section of humanity to all these different people with all these different worldviews, right? And, and why does he announce that the blessing of God is yours? He just does. Think about it. Blessed are the poor in spirit, the zeros, those without any sort of form of religion, the pathetic, those who haven't kept the covenant, those who don't believe in all the right things, those who really, really, really screwed it up in an endless litany of ways. To all of those, God is on your side. To all of those who don't deserve the blessing of God, the blessing of God is here and it's yours. Can you see why the people gathered around Jesus could say, this is good news? This is good news. Now, for some of us, we have a hard time with this, right? It's like, come on, Jerry. Blessed are the hardworking. Come on. Blessed is the morally upright. God blesses all the people who make the right decisions. God blesses those who do the right things at the right time. God blesses the people who make the right confession of faith, right? God blesses the people who go to the right schools. God blesses the people who work hard, who keep their nose clean. That's the favor of, of who the favor of God is for, Jerry, right? Well, if that's true if you articulate it that way, then God's love and favor is for people who can earn it. Shots fired! <laughs> See, the moment that we look down on somebody because they're not as disciplined, they're not as hardworking, they're not as upright, they're not as smart, they're not as responsible, not as moral God-fearing, not Bible-believing, trusting as we are, because they've made idiotic stupid, immoral choices again and again. At that moment, we are in fact rich in spirit, I would say, and Jesus isn't announcing anything to us. And the congregation said, ouch. So the poor in spirit is not a condition which we try to attain. I try to be poor in spirit. He's not saying that. If I can just become poor in spirit. It, but sometimes that's how it gets translated in our scriptures. Blessed are those who know how much they need God is one way. Here's another way that it's translated. And if that's true, then that means God's blessings are for those who achieve a particular state of huma humility or something. I have the gift of humility, therefore I am blessed. You with me? And this is one of the disadvantages of growing up actually in a Christian home with godly parents. We sort of talked about this in our life group last night. This is one of the disadvantages of basically just being a good guy. I'm not advocating that we dive into sin head first because we all know how vile we are. We all know how vile sin is. But, and sin, let's be honest, is a poison that destroys life. So hear me very carefully as I say this. But there are those who have known the destruction of sin and they are fortunate because it's easier for them to understand how much they need God. You with me? Than it is maybe for those who have grown up sheltered environment, basically a good person to understand how much they need God. And so this gospel, this announcement is that in your pathetic, confused, zero state where there is nothing good within you, God announces to you and to me 
And some of you need to hear this. He is saying to you, I am on your side. The announcement that God has sent his son into the world, his one and only son. Why? Because here's the why. Because he loved the world. His son didn't come to judge, condemn, rather he came to save. And he begins this epic sermon on the mount by starting with this counterintuitive announcement for all the people who think that they are out. God's blessing is now pouring on them. And they have this realization, I don't need to earn it. You just have to stand in awe of it. And the kingdom of heaven is available in a fresh new way for all the people who have absolutely no claim in any which way, shape, or form and who just don't deserve it. And he's saying, blessed are the poor in spirit. And there are always those, even in the church today, that There's no reason in the world that they should be blessed. Well, you think through this. Jesus opens announcing to all the people in the crowd, all the people in in that section over there, all the people maybe over there who's had an abortion. Listen, God is on your side. All the people in the section over here who are having problems with your spouse, God is on your side. All the people over here who screwed it up really, really bad at work. God is on your side. All the people over here, there are certain websites that you can't seem to get your eyes off of, right? God is on your side. Blessed are the murderers, the liars, and I struggled with this. The morally corrupt, the pathetic, the spiritual zeros, the addicted, those who with more crap in their past, those whose thought life is totally confusing. If there is any time that something uh, is going on inside of you and you're saying, no, it just can't be, it's it's for the good people, it's for those who have kept their nose clean, that's who this blessing is for, Jerry. It's not for us then. In fact, you're rich in spirit and the announcement isn't for you because he is open the heavens to everyone. And there's no why. There's no why as to how God works. All, everyone is welcome to Jesus. And so the gospel is not a list of things that we have to do. It's not more commands that we have to follow or how to become religious or the requirements of what God demands so that we can be declared forgiven. Rather, Jesus stands in the mass of humanity and he announces to everybody, look at, blessed or fortunate are the poor in spirit. Those who have really screwed it up because God is still on your side. And there's no wonder why Jesus attracted such a collection of prostitutes and sinners and other people. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I like the way that one commentator put it. He said, in order to understand it, we need to see it as the divine saying, I am with you. It's God's way of saying, I am on your side. And I think this is huge, and we have to understand this. And uh, and that this passage is limited in our English translations. And fortunate are you because God is with you. Fortunate are, think about it this way, the losers, the pathetic, the depraved, the lame, the zeros, because God is on your side. And what Jesus is doing here, again, it's upside down. And it takes a while for us to absorb what is happening. 
And then we read, blessed are those who mourn. So he goes from one right to the other. Another announcement, for they will be comforted. And we read this verse, and the first thing that naturally comes to all of our minds is death. Because death is something that we all try to avoid. You know, we're going to go look at graveyards, and to be honest, it, it makes the average person feel uncomfortable. We try to run by them. We don't want to look at them. We don't want to spend a whole lot of time on them. They creep us out. But also, if you take a look at our society, our society is attempting to avoid the reality of mortality, if you want to put it that way. And so, so people are so obsessed with our diets and our exercise and our plastic surgery. Why? Because we want to stay young and we want to stay out of the grave forever. We don't want to die. And the fact is, there are a number of ways in which we avoid the reality of mortality, and we do this with our theology as well. Because there are some churches that replace the theology of a cross with a happy face. And instead of the center of the Christian faith being the death of Christ on the cross and the resurrection, we have a big smiley face Jesus and everything is happy and it's happy Jesus and it's buddy Jesus and everything's wonderful all the time. And if you're not, well, that's not good. So you and I, we go to a funeral home, right? Bodies laid out before us in a viewing, which is actually getting less and less now. Most of us, we don't like to deal with it because we want to avoid the reality of mortality. And I'll never forget this. Sharon and I were dating and I was asked to videotape, and you don't know this story's coming, so I apologize. (laughs) But she knows the story. I'm asked by Sharon, my grandmother's passed away, can you please videotape the funeral? And all aspects of the funeral. Of course, I have this big video camera and tripod and I'm standing at the viewing and I'm videotaping the people as they're coming by and what do you what do you hear you know you know uh, oh she looks so beautiful she looks so natural she looks like she's sleeping and then somebody leans over and kisses her and on the film you hear me say oh yuck Not once did I hear somebody say, she looks dead. (laughs) No disrespect to grandma. And you think about how many times have you gone to someone who's just lost a loved one and not said a thing about the obvious? Because we're uncomfortable with death. We are very uncomfortable with grief because we think people need to get over it. We're uncomfortable with mourning because you need to get through it. And so we naturally recoil at those things with fear because death is unnatural to us. Do you know why? It is. (laughs) That's why. Yet we confront it almost every day of our lives. But mourning here is the passage that goes beyond death. And this grieving, it would expand to those who grieve, and I would say beyond death, to their experiences in life. Maybe their life filled with tragedy, injustice, and sin, and evil, and of course, death. Think about what's happening in the news today. You know, when we see other human beings, you know, and the the, the unique purpose and the purpose beyond this world, but they're treated in a way that doesn't meet their dignity, and, and people literally withhold food. When we have enough food in the world to feed the whole world, we withhold food. And our, 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 our response to that injustice, like in the South Sudan, should be a form of grief. 
And hopefully we focus and do something about that. Like when the immigrant or the stranger is not welcome in our midst and when a person is disrespected because of their ethnicity or their religion. When a young girl is trafficked. When a child's life can be snuffed out. When we walk past and ignore the aged or those with disabilities without even a smile and act like they don't exist. You see, all of these and more are little griefs that we seek to avoid in our lives. And we all mourn in so many ways. And if we think about it, we fail in our potential. Maybe, maybe it's a disability, an illness. You know, I, I grieve because I failed in my potential. I couldn't make up. I couldn't do it. Maybe, again, like I said, it's a disability. Maybe it's an illness. Maybe it's even the death of others, and we grieve. And so maybe today, this morning, your knapsack that you brought in, your mourning... And as I'm talking, you get it. You understand just how broken and ugly that this world is. And you've experienced the trauma and the tragedy that comes from a fallen world. And the mess that comes from man running amok. That the wages of sin, uh, you know, is what is death, right? Maybe you've experienced the sting of death, the, the corruption of disease, or the pain of broken relationships. And part of the grief that we experience is not just the physical pain, but it also has to do with the isolation we experience. The isolation that we maybe create for ourselves or the isolation that we suffer at the hands of others personally. As a youth pastor, and even today as as the pastor, seeing people get ignored, ignored, it, it kills me. Seeing kids in youth group being isolated, being teased, being ignored, where kids mistreat each other. It, it just, in youth, in church, it ignores me. It ignores me. It, it uh, kills me. You know, even on coffee, the reason we do coffee is for you to mix. And if this is a, a little bit of a tongue lashing, then great, then receive it and take it. But the reason we do coffee is not for you to go and talk to your friends. The reason we do coffee is for you to break bread with other strangers, to meet new friends. Drives me crazy when new people come in. And yeah, I know you're new. I stalk you. It drives me nuts when I see people with their coffee just sort of standing there, just waiting for somebody to come and to talk to them. And we need to be this community that goes beyond our comfort barriers and just introduce ourselves to new people. If they're crusty and they're grouchy, great. Then leave them alone. Let them stand by the window. But at least make the attempt that we have gone and said, hey, how you doing? Drives me crazy. It's a, it's a form of grief. But you know what? It's interesting in, in the, the beatitude here. This grief. In the face of grief, what we see is that Jesus is actually extending his hand. And, and it's the opposite of, of walking or running past the graveyard. Jesus is actually saying, go into the graveyard and walk among the tombs. In fact, get so close that you can smell death. You see, because it's there in the midst of our mourning, it's in the midst of our grieving, it's in the midst of our, our, our death, our pain, our suffering. It's in those moments maybe some of you are at right now. Hear the words, God is there. 
He enters our grief. He enters our solitude. He enters our pain. And so the Beatitudes are a reversal of cultural values. Blessed are those who mourn. Later on, we'll read in Luke, or in Luke chapter 4, you read, Jesus reads from the scroll of Isaiah. And what does it say? Jesus is standing there reading, saying, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind. What? Listen, listen, listen. To bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim the freedom for the captives, to, and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort what? All who mourn and to provide for those who grieve in Zion to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes the oil of joy instead of mourning a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair they'll be called oaks of righteousness a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor they will rebuild the ancient ruins they will restore the places long devastated they'll renew and be renewed cities that they have been devastated for uh, generations he's there And he promises the mourners that God will comfort them by satisfying the longing of their hearts. So my question is, are you troubled? Are you suffering as you've walked in today? Are you terribly hurt and disappointed? Are you discouraged? Even if you're watching on live stream, are you crushed or despairing? Congratulations. The comfort of God's kingdom belongs to you. And finally, we have the announcement, blessed are the meek, for they'll inherit the earth. Well, who gets the earth? What are you talking about? The, the loud people, the rich people, the smart people, the entrepreneurs, the creative, the intelligent. The people who know how to leverage their assets, the strong people, the people who have all the stuff, they get the earth, right? Certain people get the earth in our worldview. Some get ahead, others fall behind. Some have more, others lack. Some work hard, make the right choices, pick themselves up by their bootstraps, and others are just simply lazy, and they don't. So who gets the earth? It's actually, when you think about it, it is not a new phrase that Jesus is saying. What he's doing is known technically as a remez. He's using a phrase, but it's in reference to something else, so it triggers the memories of his listeners. And the phrase inheriting the earth is actually twice mentioned in specific passages of scripture. The first time it's mentioned is in Isaiah. Your sun will never set again. Your moon will wane no more. The Lord will be your everlasting light and your days of sorrow will end. All your people will be righteous and they will possess the land forever. That word possess means to inherit. So when when you see that in the Old Testament, you pull out the Jewish commentaries, which is called the Mishnah. And the Mishnah is something I have on my shelf. It's a beautiful thing. And this is what it says on the passage. It says, all Israelites will have a share in the world to come. For it is written, your people shall be righteous. They shall possess, which means inherit the land forever. And so to inherit the earth is understood by the Jews who are there listening to Jesus to mean the world to come. And Jesus sort of holds on to this traditional value and and there's this world and the world to come and the world to come will be organized and ordered according to God's rule and reign. And the other place in scripture we find this is Psalm 37. And we find actually five references uh, to inherit the earth here. It's also a place where we find the word meek, interesting enough. And so when Jesus would have used this phrase, his Jewish hearers would have immediately think that he's making a commentary on Psalm 37. They would also know how Psalm 37 starts. And it says, don't fret, don't worry, because of those who are evil or envious, because those who do wrong. 
For like grass, they will soon wither, and green plants, they will soon die away. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he'll do this. He will make your righteous reward shine like dawn, your vindication like the noonday sun. Be still before the Lord. Wait patiently for him. Don't fret when people succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes, but refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Do not fret. It leads only to evil. And for those who are evil will be destroyed. But those who hope in the Lord, what? Will inherit the land in a while. The wicked will be no more. Though you look for them, they will not be found. But the meek will inherit the land and enjoy peace and prosperity. We have blessed, we have meek, we have inherit the land, all in Psalm 37. And it begins with, don't worry, don't stress, it's going to work out. Yeah, you are okay. And Jesus says, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. And now the geopolitical feeling at the time was this Roman Empire has come into the land, it's conquered the land. This massive global military power, superpower, has conquered everything in its path. And when the Romans would come into an area, they would look at you with swords drawn, they would say, our Caesar who rules, our Caesar is Lord, confess Caesar is Lord. And if you said, yes, Caesar is Lord, then you would become a Roman province and you would be taxed to the yin-yang to help pay for the army to continue to conquer lands. But if you said, get out of here. Yeah, Caesar's not Lord. Put your sword away. Have a cup of tea. They would then take you, hang you on a cross as a public way of showing what happens when you defy the Roman Empire. They would beat you into submission. And so the Romans have come into a region where, where Jesus is, and it, they conquer it. Think about this. Soldiers, Roman soldiers are walking up and down the streets and their presence, the, the presence of a Roman soldier in Israel is a constant humiliation to the Jews, Jewish people because they believe that their God is the God of the world. And yet the Jewish people are going like, our God is the one true God. Our God reigns, but these Romans who don't even acknowledge their God have conquered us. And so the Jewish people being reminded of the Romans all the time, they're going, where is our God and what do we do about this? And so the people, the, the Israelites would carry a weight of shame and humiliation. They're questioning where God is and, and who is going to inherit the earth now? Because obviously the answer is the Romans inherit the earth. The guys with the big swords, the guys who are well organized militarily, the guys, the ones who could build roads and make you know, common currency, they're going to inherit the earth, right? And that's this mindset that people are dealing with. And Jesus stands there and he says, blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth. I mean, come on. They don't inherit the earth. The Romans are strong do. And so this is actually an outstanding thing to say considering the way the world was operating at the time when Jesus says to meek, seriously, you got to be wrong with that because everybody else is getting a chunk of, and, and we're missing out on this. And there's this, nagging feeling I think even in our culture today that everybody's getting a piece of a pie and I'm not getting my slice right we call it keeping up with the joints does it sound familiar this this haunting feeling that the meek don't get the earth the well organized do the people with wealth the people with money they're they're the ones that are going to get it the morning people get the earth right the four shots of espresso people get the earth 
people that we don't like get the earth. The disciplined people. The people who know how to make a list. I hate those people. And they get it done. And they're not exhausted. They get the earth. The people, you know, the people who know how to make money grow. And they say things, yeah, I don't know, it's nothing. It must be the blessing of God. That's not helpful. We don't say that because now I not only have an issue with you, I have an issue with God. But that's how our world works, right? And how do we get ahead? In some cases, you have to do whatever you have to to get ahead. But Jesus is there and he announces those all within earshot. All those who are oppressed, who are spiritually poor, who are empty. All those who are getting the short end of the stick. And he says, blessed are the meek who will inherit the earth. It's all upside down. But I think when we take a look at the Beatitudes in this way, we see the hope. Bruno says the Beatitudes are, uh, are Jesus' surprisingly countercultural God bless you's to people in God awful situations. So the meek are not this humble or calm or, or strength under control, although that is part of what being meek is. Again, we need to be careful not to make the Beatitudes a whole new form of legalism, right? The power of the Beatitudes is this radical counterintuitive announcement that God's fortune, God's favor, think about it, God's fortune, God's favor is available to everyone. And I think that that's the mind-blowing concept, for me anyway, when studying this. Someone once said that Jesus' fundamental message is the free availability of God's rule and righteousness to all of humanity through the reliance on Jesus himself, the person now loose in the world among us. It's Dallas Willard, and he goes on to say the religious system of his day left the multitudes out, but Jesus welcomed them all into his kingdom, and anybody could come as well as any other, and they still can. And that is the gospel of the Beatitudes. So do you, in some profound way, need to be reminded today that God orders the world differently than we order the world? Do you have a nagging, creeping, haunting sensation, a reoccurring feeling that, you know, the world is maybe getting cut up and everybody else is getting the piece of the pie and you're not getting yours? Or maybe you have this sense that everybody else is perfect and you're just a mess. Or a sense that everybody else is getting blessed. The gospel that Jesus announces is to you. God's favor and blessing, think about it, people, is yours. There's no conditions. God's love and favor and blessing were never handed out based on our merit, never handed out based on the works that we do. In fact, it's our sense of self-righteousness that actually that we, we carry that cuts us off from that, cuts us off from him. And so the gospel that Jesus preaches and the, that this church preaches is that when you've blown it, And you tap in at that moment to a love that can handle even the ways that you've blown it. You're free. 
And so I want to congratulate those this morning who are spiritually bankrupt, who are deeply dismayed, who feel completely inadequate. You know, again, why does God allow unpleasant experiences in our lives? Why does God let uh, us experience terrible sorrows? Why does he put us into situations that we simply cannot stand, cannot handle, maybe can't even escape? Why must we hear that little voice inside of us that is always saying you're a miserable little failure? Because those are the kinds of experiences that expose the threadbareness of our own personal self-sufficiency and they help us find the end of our own resources. And they, they force us to find strength and comfort that we can only find beyond ourselves. And so what it does is it actually drives us to God. Which is really the only place where we can find true and lasting strength and comfort and fulfillment. This is good news. So the next time that something happens to you, the next time that something brings you great pain, the next time someone reminds you just how completely inadequate you are, the next time failure exposes your own spiritual bankruptcy, congratulate yourself. The kingdom of heaven is yours. You know, we walk into a place like this, and if I can have the band get up here, and we have our knapsacks, we have our weights that we're carrying, We have this premonition that God doesn't want to hear us. God doesn't want to accept us. God doesn't want to invite us because of our sin. And it doesn't really matter. And so we come into this place. And yet there's this piece of us. There's this little voice that's screaming, help me. Help me. And I think in, in reading the Beatitudes, I, I, I see that. It doesn't matter what I've done. It doesn't matter who I think I am. It doesn't matter my pedigree, the fact, you know, I was raised in a Christian home. I got all this stuff together. It doesn't matter if I've been the sinner of sinners, the worst of worst. God's favor rests upon me. And we come into a place like this, and that's all we're screaming for. But we put up our own barriers, we put up our own walls, and we don't allow God to permeate where we need him the most. And that's really the deepest recesses of our hearts. And my word of encouragement to you this morning is just allow God to permeate you. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. That's the good news. I can't imagine people hearing that for the first time and being befuddled as they walk away from Jesus. Just trying to sort it out in their own head. Even us, maybe today you're going, but Jerry, if... You know, God says, if I do this, I'm going to be blessed and blah, blah, blah. blah. Yeah, but you got to understand that God is bigger. There is no why. And I think that that, that, that that was the profound revelation for me going through this. There is no why. Like, why, oh God, there's some people that just really deserve to be squished with your thumb. Watch the news. 
watching CNN. I don't do that often. Okay, I do it every day. Um, uh, and online they were showing just what's going on in Iraq and there was all these different videos I was watching and just my heart is breaking for the way the Daesh are killing people, persecuting people, oppressing people and it's just, it's, it's evil. And yet God's there for those guys too. And that was hard. That's, that's hard to wrap our head around. But I think the comfort of the gospel is here now and in this place that God is here for you, regardless. Doesn't matter. Nothing. He just wants us to open our, our hearts up to Him. more than asking God for a parking space and claiming the fortune of God upon us. Oh God, give me a parking. Oh, look, I'm blessed. No, no, you're lucky. There's a deep spiritual aspect here of healing that Jesus' words, that's what our faith is all about. And it's about turning the culture upside down and it's about redeeming the culture around us. where we allow Jesus to get the best of us. So we started with you standing and praying. I'm going to invite you to stand and pray with me again. I'm going to ask you to do something weird and wacky. I want you to put your hand on the person on your right and on your left. There's nobody, in, uh, nobody for you to touch. Touch the person in front of you, beside you, behind you. I don't care. Just good, healthy touch. <coughs> we need to know that we're not alone in this walk. You're not alone here at Seoul. Sometimes when we walk in through these doors, we feel that way. And I just want to affirm to you that God, we are here together as a community. And although we, we actually feel these people who are next to us many times, we and ourselves, we do feel alone and isolated. So God, I ask you to speak to those of us who are firmly convinced that your blessing is for somebody else. God, we ask to be comforted and, and to be healed with the gospel. Now, blessed or fortunate are we. So God, heal and comfort those who need it. Speak to our insecurities. And I pray for those who feel that no matter how hard they run, they feel that everybody else is running faster. May we see today that we're all in this together. 
And God, may you speak to those who feel passed over, may who feel unnoticed, may who feel looked over, may those who may feel that they've missed the grand scheme of things, speak, God, to our weariness and our despair, our cynicism. God, just speak a fresh, shocking word of acceptance, inclusion, affirmation, and blessing, and rescue us from any sort of legalism that creates a whole new set of things that you know, that we have to be earning something. So shower us with an awareness and an understanding and open up our hearts to actually receive a blessing as wide as this world and as wide as our hands from finger to finger are. Maybe you're here today at Seoul and you're not sure about all this Jesus stuff. Maybe you just feel a tugging in your heart and he's calling your name to follow him. Just in your own way, in your own words, just pray along with me this morning. Jesus, I recognize you as my Lord and Savior. I'm sorry for the things in my life that have displeased you. Thank you for coming to the earth to die in my place and to take away my sin. And I believe in you and receive you into my life. Thank you for making me a child of God and just help me to rely on you in the days to come. To follow you so that I can grow to become like you in Jesus' name. And if that's your prayer for the first time, just tell us before you leave. On my right is the cross and and Pastor Jordan will be there. And you can come and you can tell us at the cross if you want to meet up for coffee or you can just call the office or email us and we'll make a time and place to connect with you. If you're not sure you want more, just fill out a comment card and put it at the welcome desk on your way out. We'll contact you this week. In ancient time, the one who blessed extended his hands for a blessing. Those receiving a blessing did likewise. You can get your hands off that other person because it's probably wet. I went to a good old two. May God bless you with discomfort at easy answers and half-truths and superficial relationships so that you may live deep within your heart. May God bless you with anger at injustice, oppression, and the exploitation of people so that you may work for justice, freedom, and peace. And may God bless you with tears to shed for those who suffer from pain, rejection, starvation, and war so that you may reach out your hand to comfort them and turn their pain into joy. And may God bless you with enough foolishness to believe that you can make a difference in this world. You can make a difference in this world. That you, in your spiritual brokenness and despair, can make a difference in the world so that you can do what others claim cannot be done. And may the blessing of God who creates, who redeems, who sanctifies be upon all of you and all you love and pray for this day forevermore. Grace and peace be with you all, and we'll see you next week. Amen.